This is football. Peter King joins me a little bit later. Phenomenal breakdown of some of the biggest stories in football. I love Peter. He is probably my favorite person to see in a press box. On the short list, on the Mount Rushmore, for sure, of people just to brightens my day when I see him in a training camp, in a press box, in the Super Bowl, whatever it is. We had a good time. Um, just before we started recording here on Tuesday morning, happy Thanksgiving, by the way, we do not have a Friday episode. This will serve as midweek and end of week episode. We will see you on Tuesday, uh, or excuse me, Monday morning for the recap and then back to the regular schedule next week. Um, but Matt Canada has been fired. And this is the first in-season Steelers firing on record. That's significant. But what's also significant is that Matt Canada necessitated it. Matt Canada forced their hand. And the stats are almost unbelievable. 44 games in charge at Steelers OC. Reading Daniel Valenti's tweet here. Zero games with 400 yards. One game with 300 passing yards. Two games with 30 points. Seven games with two passing touchdowns or more. 27 of those games, 20 first downs or less. 28 of those games, 20 points or less. This is impossible in the modern era of football. Impossible. Kenny Pickett has the worst touchdown percentage on record of guys who've thrown over 500 passes. Kenny Pickett has, since October 1st, as many passing touchdowns as Anthony Richardson. Anthony Richardson not only has been ruled out for the season since October 8th, but he threw both those touchdown passes in one game on October 8th. We've already gone through, everybody knows the stats about how Tommy DeVito's stats compared to Kenny Pickett's. Um, and this shows you, I saw some Steelers writers talk about this today, this shows you the Steelers are in on Kenny Pickett. They think Canada is the problem. I tend to agree. The way I'd phrase it is, Canada is the bigger problem and the guy you need to get out and the guy you don't need to commit to get him out. Let Mike Sullivan and Eddie Falker, uh, Faulkner do the play calling. I guess they're going to share the duties and see what you have in Pickett. You cannot in good conscience give a full season of the Canada Pickett uh, partnership going forward and say, we have a good evaluation on Kenny Pickett. You have to make a decision. On these guys, talking about fifth-year options and first-round picks. At some point, you have to sign to a second contract. You cannot let it fester. So, good job by the Roonies, by Mike Tomlin. To listen, they shouldn't have been in the situation, but that's not. I'm. We're not doing DeLoreans here. We're doing. This was November twenty-first, and they needed to make a move. And they did the best job they could on November twenty-first. So, shouldn't have been in the situation. Probably should have never gotten the job. As the OC, he was the quarterbacks coach after being the interim at Maryland in twenty eighteen. Um, should not have gotten the job, but should have been fired today. Um, our buddy Orlovsky, a couple scheme things. Get Pickens in the pass game more. I completely agree. His catch radius. Even if Kenny Pickett is not the best quarterback in the world, um, even if he's league average, George Pickens' catch radius will make a difference. Heave it up to George Pickens and good things will happen. Um, build off the pass game off inside zone runs, and one-back power runs, according to Orlovsky, and screen game screen game improvement. Boy, watch some Philadelphia Eagles tape from Monday night. There's a lot of screen game stuff. Um, by the way, before I get into the, the Steelers point I'm going to make, Jalen Carter tried to intercept a spiked pass on Monday night. Dominic Foxworth was on the show, as you guys know, a couple weeks ago and said that Ed Reed tried to practice that, did practice that against Joe Flacco, 
thought about doing in the game, never got there. Unfortunately, so Jalen Carter said he saw it on YouTube and decided to steal it. It seems like a high school player probably tried it. So he was not trying to go in Ed Reed Foxworth mode. But uh, I'm sure too, hey, Jalen Carter's an Orlando guy. He's he's locked in. He's tapped into this is football. But it's not a one, it's not a one-to-one deal. He did not, he did not watch our our badass segment and steal from that. Uh, but we can we can pretend. We can pretend he's just he's just a huge Foxworth head, as we all are. So Canada is fired. And the reason this is significant is because if you watch the Chiefs on Monday night, and you realize that the Chiefs are still probably everybody, the majority of football fans, AFC favorite, even over the Ravens, given the fact that Mahomes is Mahomes and they have a top five defense. They have a pass rush that will make a quarterback's life miserable all the time. This is an unbelievably incomplete AFC. And we thought that was not the case. And we thought it was going to be my old golf analogy about there's 10 guys who should win every week. And then you get in these tiebreakers. No, it's not that because immediately in, four plays into the season, Aaron Rodgers removes the Jets from competition. Brandon Staley removes the Chargers from competition by being Brandon Staley. Um, Joe Burrow gets hurt, and the Bengals can maybe make the playoffs but have no hope of being a Super Bowl team. That was my pick to win the Super Bowl. Obviously, health is, has changed those plans. The Browns, my ceiling and my thought on them have not, have not changed. but they're not going to make the third week of the playoffs. They can certainly make the second week of the playoffs, not the third. The Bills, wildly inconsistent. And everybody, I mean, the, I don't know who we, we put the Patriots in. The Patriots are, are, are lost at sea. The Jaguars are good, not great. So I'm looking, and like the Dolphins played a clunker on Sunday, but their defensive ceiling is so high that obviously I have them at the near the top of the conference. But the reason I'm trying to paint the picture of the AFC is because firing Matt Canada and getting some sort of competence in there and getting Jalen Warren more carries and small things like that. Jalen Warren led the NFL in rushing yards last weekend on nine carries, getting Pickens involved, getting the ball in the hands of the playmakers. Small stuff like that combined with a tough, well-coached team that has one of the best players in football on defense. This is a team that can make the Final Four. Because the AFC is wide open, and there is no, no, nothing perfect about that. Look at the NFC by comparison. And we always thought that maybe the NFC was more top-heavy because of the, the, the and, and there was no depth there. There's no depth in either conference. That two-versus-seven game, the game I call it could have been an email game, it's going to be brutal and bleak on both sides of the bracket. You want to suck up to your family, your significant other, make plans then for that game and say, well, I'd love, to, I'd love to watch football today, but I'm going to be with the fam instead. That's the two-verse-seven game this year. A little earned credit there for you with the fam, friends and family. But the Eagles, the Niners, and then a, a half cut below that, the Lions, those are complete teams. We know what they look like. We know that they either have great offenses or can generate good offense, a nasty pass rush, um, they can with with absolute blue chippers. The Eagles have the best pass rush trio in football. The Niners, who was inconsistent, so they went and they got Chase Young, and we saw what that looked like. 
last week. So that, if you're an NFC team right now, you're not trying to accelerate the timeline. You're not trying to move deck chairs around in the Titanic just to get into the, la- the, a- the NFC title game, Super Bowl, that stuff. That My feeling is the Super Bowl is spoken for in the NFC from probably three or four teams. Maybe, maybe the Cowboys get hot and we have a different discussion. But we're good there. The AFC, I, I think it's important, and we're going to get to this with Peter King, I think it's important that Mahomes has a top five defense for the next three, four years. That just shows you that they're going to be a probably the AFC's first or second best team for as, as long as Andy Reid and Mahomes are there. If they had this young defense, it continues at the pace it is. But in the short term, they need Travis Kelsey to be healthy and thriving because they've gotten away with bad receivers before, but only when Travis Kelsey is the best tight end in football and playing like the greatest tight end in football. History, like history. That's what they were able to do. They were able to get away with all of the personnel shortcomings on the outside of the field because Travis Kelsey was finding holes in the zone. They were basically playing basketball and grass. If you read some of this stuff, just their adjustments within the defense and it was just option routes over and over and over again. And they were able to get away with that. And yeah, sure. Pacheco in the run game that can help us, especially against the way teams want to defend the deep pass against Mahomes. But I don't see a pathway for this chiefs receiving core to get much better. It has to come through Kelsey. And so what I saw Monday night, even with a great defense, was a team that's beatable by a bunch of teams in the AFC. Now, I don't think it's going to happen. But, and the Ravens, by the way, are the one seed. And if they get home field, I mean, the Ravens, that's hard to play in Baltimore. Lamar Jackson's amazing. Maybe we're overthinking this. But if I'm the Steelers right now, and there are not seven credible playoff teams, I think the Steelers are going to make the playoffs basically by default. Um, I mean, I was on TV yesterday and they asked me if the Broncos were make the playoffs. And it's like, well, you look around and you go, oh my God, not a lot of depth here. Not a lot, not a lot of complete teams. Um, but I think the Steelers are going to get into the playoffs and then competence will do wonders there. Competence will do wonders in the playoffs. They have that now. I think Matt Canada's firing might end up being one of the biggest moves of this year. And it's because of how strange the AFC playoff picture looks now. And I'm not going to say the conference is, is winnable by any means, especially with Kenny Pickett. But you can win an extra playoff game because someone else is calling the plays. And that someone else is anybody but Matt Canada. Here's Peter King. Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesars Palace. All this can be yours when you bet with Caesars Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns reward credits, which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, use the code OmahaFull and then place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great, you keep those winnings. But if you lose, you get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 and up only. Offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maine, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. New users and first $10 wager only must wager with eligible promo code BET 
amount of qualifying wager return only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See Caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Hannah's New Orleans. Maine, call 1-800-327-5050. Or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed. Calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-888-427-426-2537 or West Virginia. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. All right, Peter King, NBC Sports, Football Morning in America, journalism legend. He's about to fly to the West Coast on Thanksgiving week. What's your Thanksgiving tradition? Like, what's your number one power ranking, I need to have it on Thanksgiving situation? Kevin, I... It's my favorite holiday of the year, and I've never once worked on Thanksgiving in my life. Never. And uh, there's a reason that, you know, when I was growing up, my family made a big deal out of Thanksgiving in Connecticut. So when I got married, our family made a big deal out of Thanksgiving. So every year we gather in one spot. I have a daughter and her family who live in Seattle, another daughter and her family live in Berkeley, and we live here. So we are the ones who fly the six hours and go to Seattle, and uh, we will have a fantastic smoked turkey made by my son-in-law, Nick. And the only thing I really, really care about is the cranberries have to be quality. Of course, I can't have canned cranberries. If that happens, there's going to be big trouble. (laughs) So otherwise, you can do whatever you want on Thanksgiving. Everybody always makes a good turkey. I love turkey. But if you F up the cranberries, I will be pissed off. Anyway, you've thrown down the gauntlet. For any any family member, it's over. The cranberries. Many occasions. Don't the standard have is the standard with the cranberries, as Mike Tomlin would say. The standard is the standard, said Coach Tomlin. <laughs> exactly, exactly. With no excuses here. Um, Peter, so on Monday night, it was one of the most interesting games of the season. It really was. Because we, we saw the limits of the Mahomes uh, the, Mahomes' ability to get literally, literally the ball in the hands of a receiver down the field for a touchdown and the wide receiver MVS could not bring it in. We saw the limits about what happens if Travis Kelsey's not 100% in that offense. Um, but on the flip side, uh, there's a defense that causes havoc all the time. It's the best defense that the Mahomes has ever had at the NFL level. You know Mahomes well. You went to Germany with them a couple of weeks ago and you talked to them about it. Um, 
level of concern. I, I I think Mahomes has reached the 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 point for me where I will just give him the benefit of the doubt. They'll figure it out. They'll figure out the offense by January. Um, but playing a game like that and go now going three straight games without a second half point, is there actual uh is there an actual level of concern for you? I'm going to answer that with a two-letter word, but I'm gonna to have to have a qualifier to it. And I would say no. Mm-hmm. And the reason is that if uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling had caught an eminently catchable, beautiful yep. throw by Mahomes, or, or, either or, either or, or if Travis Kelsey doesn't very uncharacteristically yep. get a ball punched out uh, of his hands. But if either of those things is reversed, Kansas City wins the game. And what we're talking about this morning is, man, tough win, 24-21. But, you know, Kansas City won a game they had to win. The worrisome thing for me is that the margin of error continues for them Mm. to be so incredibly small. Okay, two games ago, they scored nine points in in basically a no-show game you figure almost every team has almost one incredible clunker that you just say hey let's bury that one Mahomes was sick road game before they go to Germany who knows if their minds are totally on the bad Denver Broncos I don't know but you tend to put that one in the rear view but then they go and they only score 14 points uh against offensive points Mm -hmm against Miami, in Germany, and in fact, in the last 55 minutes of the game, 55 minutes, they score one touchdown. So now I'm at that game, and after the game, uh, Andy, I'm waiting to talk to Andy Reid in his little office at Deutsche Bank Park in (laughs) Frankfurt, and PR guy says, hey, wait over here. So I waited, and I waited, and I I waited 17 minutes. Now, I did a couple of other things while I was waiting, but I kept looking at the door and, you know, who was in there was, uh, you know, the offensive coordinator, uh, uh, you know, it was Andy basically, you know, talking at that time, trying to find some solutions and trying to figure it out. And when the door opened, uh, you know, and and all of a sudden I could walk in there. I really sense that Andy truly felt, listen, Rasheed Rice, Sky Moore, they're going to figure it out. They're getting better. They're the way our defense was last year. We struggled some on defense. We were so young. I'm, I'm really not worried about this. And so in this game, you know, Rasheed Rice and Sky Moore, who were basically going to be their young downfield threats, give them five catches for 46 yards, and it's just not good enough. And I think the way I look at their offense right now, Kevin, is, you know, Patrick Mahomes cannot make mistakes. He cannot throw that ball maybe two yards short in the end zone to have it interviewed by uh, intercepted by Kevin Bayard. He just can't make those mistakes. That's why I say I'm not worried, but there's an asterisk. And the asterisk is. Their margin for error now is so small. The onus is on Mahomes to figure it out is the best possible pathway forward. Because for the next five years, the most important thing is they have a young, 
talented defense that is going to keep them. Yes, this is going to keep them like removing the best quarterback in football. Um, they're always going to have a good defense. It looks like for at least the next three, four years because of the of the the youth on it, the the way they've drafted, the way that Spags has just drawn it up. If he, if he doesn't get a head coaching job, um, so then all you need to do is have the best quarterback in football solve a couple things. That's a pretty good equation to me. Um, that's a nice problem to have. That's a champagne problem to have. That's why I don't have a huge level of concern in the long term, certainly. Um, but but maybe the next couple weeks there there could be some some things to iron out. Um, I want to talk about the the Jets real quick. Go to Tim Boyle. And my feeling is that once Aaron Rodgers goes down, you you could still make the playoffs. You see the defense here. Yeah. Um, that I I, I think you know, you look at a team like the Browns and the Browns defense is, is statistically better than the Jets, but it's still the same genre of team where they are able to wreak havoc, stay in games and and they're going to make the playoffs. Um, you look at a team like the the damn Broncos, who are now, I think, like 20 percent chance of making the playoffs just because there just aren't a lot of credible AFC teams. Um, your thoughts on the I guess we'll just call it the Zach Wilson saga over the past couple of months. It just seemed to have been the sign of a franchise that was just just frankly, a little bit lost um, and and not really decisive on on what this was supposed to look like after Rodgers went down. I think one of the things that Robert Sala said, and I had talked to him once during this year, and they wanted Zach Wilson to succeed so much. They were intent on going too far, in my opinion, to help him succeed. And especially after the Kansas City game on that uh, on that night in early October, where he threw two touchdowns and looked very, very good. He didn't get sacked much. I forget what his numbers were, but he's gotten sacked a lot this year, obviously. But he avoided that and played well. And that bought him a month, basically. It bought him a month. And I think the other problem with the Jets is that they felt like if they were going to yank Zach Wilson, that it was over for Zach Wilson. They wanted this to be a red shirt year and they wanted him to learn behind the master. Yeah. And yes, Jordan Love. I mean, everybody can have whatever opinion they want out of uh, out of Aaron Rodgers, but he's a damn good mentor. And, you know, and I think that's the thing that, that Robert Sala and Joe Douglas wanted. But the fact is, you know, over and over again, and I documented it, you know, in his last 65 possessions as the quarterback of the New York Jets, 65, going back five and a third games. So exactly, almost exactly one third of the season. Okay. He had in these 65 drives, he had three touchdowns. And one of them was the laydown touchdown by the Eagles. And so you can't keep doing it. I thought Sala went too far anyway. I would have yanked him. I certainly would have yanked him uh, after the Charger game. Absolutely would have yanked him after the interception he threw in Vegas. I, you know, at some point, at some point, you have to just look at this and you have to say, it's not going to work. Every good intention that we have, it's wonderful, but it's not going to work. And we got to move on and we don't care if the janitor plays. So I saw you were in Detroit um, 
to and and to leave your column with with the Lions and and golf and that comeback on Sunday. I'm not asking this because I want to pump up Detroit. You don't have to answer Detroit. But no, I, I love wanna, Detroit. I love Detroit. Uh, no, I'd me too. To me too. But I, when you get yeah. when I, when I ask the question, you're going to know why I'm 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 broadening this. I feel like no one knows how good of a football town Detroit can be and how much uh-huh. they love football there. And I'm curious, and you, you've you been to every single football town. You've been there at the, every town's football, every football town's peak. And what I mean by that is championship games. I remember going down to, uh, going up to Seattle before the, um, the same, the, the, the Richard Sherman game, right? The 20, the 2014 game. And just everybody in the streets and before the game and just having a beer and just, you're thinking, this is the peak of Seattle football, hometown NFC title game. Um, obviously they, they won the game, but there's such a buzz. I'm curious where you put Detroit when it's rolling among football towns in America and who else is in that mix? Well, before I, before I rank them, I'm going to tell you one story late in Bill Parcells' coaching career. When I was talking to him about uh, places that he thinks are great jobs in the NFL, you know, you think maybe he'll say green Bay, even though they were so down at the time, you know, who I I didn't know. Maybe he'd say Philly. I, I don't know. First one he said was the Detroit lions. And That's because not necessarily when Bill Parcells was a kid, but honestly, when he was a kid, late 50s, uh, growing up in Jersey, uh, Bill Parcells, mid late 50s, the Detroit Lions were a power franchise. They owned Paul Brown for a few years, and that was the gold standard in the NFL. So I, I think I would preface it by saying that. And I, You know what I look at, uh, honestly, uh, uh, Kevin, I look at how teams travel. And this year, you've seen what's happened when the Detroit Lions travel. Look, everybody travels to L.A. and everybody looks (laughs) good in L.A. because there isn't that, you know, long, old, you know, generated fan base for a team like the Chargers. But so that's that's one. But you look at the other road games they played this year and you just basically say this is a team that is beloved by the locals. And if they're ever good, watch out. And so I agree with you. I think there's one one reason if if the if there were empty seats when the Lions were bad on Thanksgiving in the 90s and and there were a few empty seats, but not many. If there were a lot of empty seats, they would have taken away that Thanksgiving tradition because mm. it just wasn't going to look good. And they don't want to have a crap team in one of their big TV windows of the year. But the NFL, look, I was covering these league meetings when there were teams trying to get the Thanksgiving game away from the Lions. Why should they have this privilege? Why? And and the league said, we're never going to take it. The tradition is yeah. too good. And now that. I think I I wrote this week that there's something like five and 18 in their last 23 at home on Thanksgiving. But now, you know, the wheels are turning and they're going to be really good at home, I think, from here on out. It's funny you mentioned Parcells because Parcells obviously is Dan Campbell's mentor of sorts. He was um, he worked under him. He played under him. 
And when I was with Dan Campbell a couple of years ago, when he first took the job, his vision, Campbell's vision was, if you could ever win in Detroit, you could unlock a, a mania unlike anything we've ever seen in football. If you could get to yeah. Detroit and win, it would be unbelievable. And I mean, like, and, and, and Dan, he bleeds Detroit at this point. Like he, he, the phrase he used with me was it's like Texas where he's from, but with different accents. And then he got actually emotional talking about like the, um, the, the auto collapse and the housing market. Like he just, he just loves Detroit. It just feels very special to me. And, and I think that that's, um, I don't, I don't think we get that. I mean, we had that with the bills a couple of years ago where it's almost the resurrection of a franchise and needed it so badly. Um, but I just, I just think it's one of the best stories in football. Um, I want to flip to one of the, the grimmest stories in football right now, which is the Patriots. Um, you know that franchise really well. I I don't know what's going to happen. We we just have uh, it's uncharted waters for me because I'm I'm younger than you. You've seen Don Shula cycle out of the sport. You've seen um, even before that Tom Landry um, get unceremoniously fired by by Jerry Jones and replaced by by Jimmy Johnson. We've seen these sort of deans of the sport, these icons, be pushed out. Belichick to me is the greatest coach of all time. But that doesn't that doesn't earn you very much um, when you're two and eight and look hopeless. Um, this plays out how, Peter? Oh, I think most likely, you know, the ironic thing about this whole story, Kevin, is that everybody knew Tom Brady even told me when he was, I don't know, 30, 34 years old. Uh uh, basically, and I'm paraphrasing, I'll be like all the rest of them. When right. when Belichick is done with me, uh, I'll be gone. And you think how silly that sounds when a guy who's whatever, 32 years old and has three Super Bowl rings. Oh, you're crazy. He's not going to do that to you. But he did it, in essence. Um, you know, Kraft would have kept Brady until he was 89 years old. You know, now Kraft might do the same thing to Belichick. Yep. And And I think... I think it will be, I think it'll look nice mm. and it'll sound nice, but I think make no mistake about it, that if the Patriots continue down this track, there's no reason to think that they won't end up with the third, fifth, sixth pick in the draft. And it's going to be a very high pick with a bad record with four and 13 or whatever it is. There's going to be a very nice ceremony. They'll part ways. Kraft will pay him 50 million or whatever he has left on his contract. That won't be an issue. It never has been an issue, even though about the stories earlier in the year where he's got a contract extension. Kraft doesn't care. I mean, you know, how much longer does he have? He's 80, what, 82 years old. Mm -hmm. uh, it, I mean, he wants to find some way to win right now. And I think Robert Kraft, this is my gut feeling. I've not talked to him about it, but this is my gut feeling on Kraft. He wants to modernize this franchise. He does not want a poobah with this franchise who makes every decision because it is gone totally off the rails because Parcells drafts have been horrible. Capital H. And so you have to look at this now and you have to say, OK, what's he going to do? In my opinion, he's going to look for an offensive minded coach who can groom a quarterback fairly soon, probably not Mac Jones, but we'll see. And then he's probably, I think, I think he'll hire a general manager. And so we'll see what happens. But I think the end with Parcells, I are with Parcells, with Belichick, uh, probably comes this year. 
in January and there's a very nice ceremony and all that. And I think Belichick understands there's no sense in uh, in making this ugly at the end. And that's how I see it ending. Let's flip this. I, my feeling is that Belichick has unfortunately made the Patriots a less desirable job, which I didn't think was possible. And that Belichick has made himself a less desirable candidate for a team like the commanders for a team, potentially like the Panthers, but you know, at the NFL ownership ranks, well, is there going to be a demand if Belichick wants to keep doing this? I think so. Demand might be strong. Like I would be very careful in this because look, Belichick, I think I'm right in saying this on opening day when he coaches in 2024 will be 72 years old. We can say everything we want about, man, this guy looks 58, whatever. And he does. He is taking very good care of himself. Uh, He has a great getaway out on Nantucket uh, where he can just disappear and decompress. But, you know, the real key thing is what Chris Sims told me a couple of years ago is that. The reason that Bill Belichick can stand on the sidelines and look like, you know, he's walking out to get the newspaper on a Tuesday morning in May. uh, And that's an old statement if there ever was. (laughs) But the reason he can do that is that he doesn't get all tight. He's been around football since his father started letting him into the uh, into the Navy meetings at the Naval Academy. Uh, this is how crazy this sounds. This is pre-Roger Staubach at the Naval Academy when Bill Belichick started uh, in on the meetings where his dad, who was an assistant coach and also the advanced scout for Navy, would yep. brief his team on all of these uh, upcoming opponents that they were going right. to play. Bill would just sit there. But look, Bill is going to have uh, I believe is going to have a job if he wants one. And in my opinion, I won't be surprised. I mean, what if Dallas crashes to earth, Kevin, what does Jerry Jones do? He repeats history and maybe, maybe he just inquires about Belichick. Who knows? We'll see. What is, what do the chargers do? Chargers may not be able to afford very much, but I think they would definitely have interest uh, David Tepper would be starstruck yeah. uh, if he fires Frank Reich, but and obviously Washington would look into yeah. him. It'd be a cool regional hire, but I think he'll get a job if he wants one. We'll have more with Peter King right after this. We're gonna do a thing called badasses, which is the most badass person you've ever been around. You've been around so many people. You mentioned Parcells. Obviously, you were on those Giants teams that were full of badasses in the '80s, throughout the '90s, and also like. Modern football is is full of badasses. There's people right now. Like Jalen Carter tried to intercept a damn spiked pass yesterday, which might have been based off of something you saw on this show with Dominic Foxworth's whole story about Ed Reed trying to do it. Um, but uh, so so you have the floor. You can take a minute to think about it if you need it. Um, tell me about the most badass person you've ever seen in football, Peter King. I hate to be cliche, but I'm going to say Lawrence Taylor. Okay. Uh, I covered him for four years. I mean, Lawrence Taylor was the kind of guy underneath Giants Stadium in the old days was uh, a very small concourse, a one lane concourse around so that they can get the machinery in and out of the stadium and, and all that stuff. And Lawrence Taylor one time was driving about 50 miles an hour through there 
And I mean, he missed two or three of us by 18 inches, you know, standing by the side because we look over and we say, holy crap, Lawrence Taylor is driving very fast in the concourse right outside the Giants locker room. Uh, I would say that, you know, he was he was a guy who when he wanted to do something, you know, he played with a torn pectoral and got two sacks once at New Orleans. He just he was uh, I I, honestly, Kevin, this is a terrible thing to say, but I'm a little surprised he's still alive. You know, this is a guy who lived every day of his life on the edge. Uh, so I would probably say Lawrence Taylor. And I'm sorry for being cliche. No, you know, I, I would if Bill Belichick were on the show, he'd say the same thing. Yeah. I I I mean, I was gonna say Kevin Gogan. I had a confrontation with him one time. Uh I was gonna say James Harrison, who even to this day, if I ever see him, he scares the crap out of me. But <laughs> uh, he, you know, I, I think I think I would say Taylor. Wait, can we get the the Gogan? The go get interaction. Oh, I called him a journeyman in one of my stories when he was with the 49ers. And I think at that moment he he had played for three teams in five years, which is sure. And I, I may be wrong about that. Sure. I'd have to look it up, but to me, it defines journeyman. So I walked in the 49ers locker room back in the Steve Young days, and he saw me and he goes, Journeyman. And he screams at the top of his lungs, I'm no effing journeyman. And, you know, because he viewed it as a terrible thing, like a bum. Yeah. Uh, and I said, it's not a bad word. I mean, you know, it's just <laughs> you are a journeyman. And and anyway, so a couple of guys stepped between us. And later he saw me and he just laughed. He goes, hey, I got you, didn't I? And, <laughs> uh, you know, but anyway, that was uh, that was an interesting moment. And then James Harrison, just a scary dude. You didn't just, have any. I, I mean, you know, he had this look in his eye. I remember one time in training camp when Antonio Brown was a rookie and Mike Tomlin put Antonio Brown to catch, back to catch a punt. And James Harrison was the gunner on the punt team, which he never was. But Tomlin wanted to scare the living crap out of Antonio Brown. And James Harrison was running like a 4 3 40 down right at Antonio Brown and Antonio Brown just like melted into this little mass of dough and he fumbled and everything. And Tomlin was laughing. Harrison was laughing. Everything was laughing. And Tomlin said later, I want to get this guy ready to return punts. And you know, what better way do you get a guy ready to return punts than have James Harrison running at you a hundred miles an hour? And so that was Harrison to me anyway. I, well, the thing I loved about Harrison is in Latrobe, he would have these customized golf. Everyone has their own. The veterans have their golf carts. And he would always have these really exotic painted golf carts. Like the, the I think it was the Lakers logo was on it. Tons of different stuff. And he would just see him and he'd be the most menacing guy. And then he'd be driving around in this purple Lakers golf cart. <laughs> I, I just loved. And I, I just love that whole vibe in Latrobe. I feel like you just learned so much about football, Peter, because you're just in it all the time. And you're seeing these guys. I just wish hey, every Kevin, I got it. I got to tell you a quick Latrobe story. Yeah. In 19, I think 85, might have been 84, I was covering the Bengals. But in those days, they let me at the Cincinnati Inquirer go to the other training camps in the division for a day because I wanted to get to know the other teams. So I went up to Pittsburgh and or I went up to Latrobe 
And Joe Gordon, who was the PR guy, said, well, who do you want to talk to? And so I, I gave him a list. And so Joe Gordon just gives me their room numbers over in the dorm. And he says, just go and knock on their doors. And, you know, and one of them was Mike Webster. And I must have sat in Mike Webster's room for 45 minutes and talked about the team. And he he didn't even he didn't want me to go. He just he was happy just sitting there talking about his team and his career and all that stuff. And to me, it's one of the reasons why, you know, this is the 40th year I've done it. And it's one of the reasons why I have every year, unless something really weird happens, I will be in Latrobe. Yep. Just because it's the perfect place to to go to training camp. Yep. Uh, access, by the way, if you're not familiar with it, it's still like that. We just go to their dorm rooms and they talk to us. <laughs> Peter King, thank yeah, you, you so much. Yeah, you spend an hour man. with Kenny Pickett. That's you exactly right. You feet on the bed, everything I know. They, you just, they just say, here you go, man. Just knock on the door. He'll be happy to see you. That's exactly how NFL access works. Peter King, thank you so much. Read them, uh, Football Morning America. Enjoy the cranberries on Thanksgiving, buddy. All right. Hey, listen, Kevin, great to be on with you. Good luck. You're doing a great job. Thanks, man. I appreciate that so much. 